0: Welcome to Stories with Shrinks, a podcast where we over-psychoanalyze characters from your favorite movies, TV, and media. I'm Tyler, he, his, him.
1: I'm Jennifer, she, her, hers.
0: And this is our holiday special. Mm -hmm. Welcome to our late December holiday special. What holiday? Whatever holiday you want, really. Big fan of the solstice, big fan of Christmas, big fan of Hanukkah. Mm Mm-hmm big fan of kwanzaa i think they're all fun they're, they're all, all good fun.
1: all i can think about right now is back in the day nickelodeon like did the whole like combine all the holidays into one and say like happy Hanukkah, kwanzaa christmas winter and had all the characters out and that's in my brain right now
0: <laughs> that's correct that is correct so we uh we had to get a couple characters from our favorite holiday media for this mm-hmm. episode but before we dig into that, we do have our get to know you question—a question that I have definitely prepared, as I always do. Always right now. Nice questions. In preparing, actually, in preparing for this episode, we had to look through a big list of Christmas movies and TV specials. My question for you, Jen, is: What is your favorite holiday movie or TV special?
1: Someone asked me this recently, and I felt like such a Scrooge and Grinch because I was like, "Do I do I have one?" Do I have one? Um, I mean, The the Film I Chose is definitely a fan favorite. I watch it every year. Um, More contemporary, I really like The Holiday Mm. with Jude Law and um, Jack Black. I've enjoyed that one. Christmas Story is on every year at my house. I enjoy The Halloween holiday movies also of like Nightmare Before Christmas and those two blend together so perfectly so
0: that is actually my answer is probably Nightmare Before Christmas (laughs) Um, but I can remember watching the Santa Claus movies growing up those were always fun Um, everyone's favorite holiday movie Die Hard and apparently Gremlins is also a holiday movie I wasn't aware of this but when we were researching I found that
1: the list we were looking at had gremlins and apparently it just takes place during christmas and that's all that counts
0: um
1: they also yeah. had the batman with the penguin and catwoman on that list oh yes yes right? batman
0: returns yes yeah. that because is also a holiday movie
1: during the holidays and that's the only requirement really to make a holiday movie
0: yes holiday. yes that is correct and so without any further ado i suppose we should get into our clients uh Just so you're all aware, we decided we didn't want to be basic. Um, So we picked some holiday characters that are not necessarily, uh, you know, we didn't go for Buddy the Elf. We didn't go for Krampus. We didn't go for. We're not doing Santa. (laughs) Any version of Santa. And I think it's going to be an interesting ride. So, Jen, without any further ado, you have a new client this week. I do
1: have a new client. I'm working with a younger teenager this week. Um, coming off of the holiday season with his family, that was extremely stressful and at times very traumatic also. Um, my client's name is Russ Griswold. Um, his He's coming in later, it, well, probably at the beginning of a year, but later during the holiday season, around the January time frame after surviving a very wild Christmas season with his family. So Russ also goes as Rusty every so often. <clears throat> his parents, Clark and Ellen Griswold, older sister, Audrey. um, And again, in the films, they never give an exact age for Russ. um, But I would put him probably like a freshman in high school kind of time frame. His older sister is perceived to still be in high school in the films. She's not like home from school at all, from my understanding. Um, And again coming in basically saying that this holiday season has kind of put the nail in the coffin of crazy events my family has gone through and I want to be able to have a space to like talk about this process this and not end up as messed up as my parents and family are going off into high school and then going into adulthood and college um so as it's hopefully obvious that you've seen this movie if not go watch this movie because it is a classic um the yes uh,
0: in my family it's not christmas until the shitter is full
1: exactly um this is the movie we put on to decorate our house with like it is the first movie we put on the day after thanksgiving (laughs) um but national lampoons christmas vacation this is the third in this franchise I do believe with the trip to Wally World and then the trip to Europe before this and I do believe Vegas is oh. after. Um, but um, Russ is coming in. I, I want to say Russ is cool enough to consent for himself at this point and just like I'm in like I so he is over the age of 14 and if deemed responsible enough to kind of have the insight and foreknowledge of knowing what the therapeutic process is and given any other like crisis red flag needs um if you're 12 years old or older you are able to consent for yourself in the state of california we of course want at some point to get a parent signature um and get them involved in this process as he is a minor but Um, I would at least have him come in for the intake and see what's going on, see um, kind of what he is talking about, what's going on at home, um, and kind of assess from there if we wanted to have parents come in as well and get that signature on the informed consent. Um, But again, he's coming in just initially talking about um, his Christmas vacation and all the things that went down during Christmas and what is happening and given the stressors that he went through during Christmas um, my initial diagnosis kind of train of thought to kind of provide a roadmap into treatment was an adjustment disorder um adjusting to the stressors that occurred during Christmas um and again he kind of knows that there is this Vegas trip leading up for his family and he wants to get as much help before going into that trip Um, And being able to kind of come out of it not feeling like a completely different person. Um, So coming in presenting about the Christmas, he described that uh, the police had shown up at some point and raided the house after his uncle kidnapped his dad's boss for not giving him a proper Christmas bonus as uncles do. You know, common thing that you would go show up at the boss's house, put a giant bow on him, kidnap him and bring him back home. Um, During this vacation, the Christmas tree also caught on fire, resulting in a family member's pet dying, Um, a squirrel and a dog chasing each other throughout the house, destroying the house after his dad bought in a Christmas tree from the backyard to replace the burnt tree. Somewhat in like a disassociated kind of manic state, he kind of did this in. He was kind of like checked out his uh Russ described. And again, finally the cops raiding the home, busting through the doors and windows. He reported that his family dynamics have been like this for a long time, as far as he can remember, and reports previous bigger events that have felt where he has felt like a totally different person in his home. Um, side note, I'm alluding to the fact that a different actor plays the kids in every single movie. But um, each major event is almost like changing him into a completely new person. Um, He told stories from his trip to an amusement park where he witnessed his father held a security guard hostage as he made his family go to enjoy the closed park. Um, Also during this event, his great aunt died while in a car with him. And then also on a European vacation, uh, he lists off a, a list of traumas that occurred around him. Um, so kind of getting this kind of information in the intake in the first couple session, I would also want to assess for his safety needs at home. Um, He is describing a lot of different people at a lot of different needs and levels emotionally, uh, witnessing a lot of traumas, the fact that, like, police raided his house, wanting to make sure that this is a safe home, um, that he has maybe, like, a safety plan in mind, Um, and again, kind of assessing to see, like, what might also be occurring at home if there's any needs to be taken care of to provide a safe dynamic for him. Um, Then using cognitive behavioral therapy, we would begin to construct his core belief message. So I am using more of a CPT kind of lens um, to roadmap his treatment course. We would construct a genogram um, which isn't technically cognitive behavioral therapy, but I like to use genograms as a way to look over patterns of almost like core beliefs and messages that family dynamics have. Um, so what a genogram is, it's kind of like a family tree that's mapped out in very like clinically purposed way. We use different symbols to represent different behavioral patterns, different mental health dynamics, different um, addiction behavioral patterns, personality patterns, uh, relationship dynamics between family members across generations and within generations as well. Um, So really being able to break down like what has the what have the Griswolds kind of been up to over the generations if some of these patterns of behavior have been learned at all, if they're in results of other previous traumas in the family, and what messages are being taught to us as a result. Um, So again, we would construct a genogram to look at how these messages were developed over generations in the family, looking over generations of behavioral patterns, personality dynamics, and learned messages. From there, we would be able to start to look at how his thoughts, feelings, and behaviors have worked together and together go through exercise, such as putting your thoughts on trial, which um, I would have him be like, hey, I've I've been having this reoccurring thought that like, because my family's a mess, I'm going to be a mess. Um, So we would say like, okay, what's the evidence for this thought? What are some evidence against this thought? And really start to put your thoughts on trial, seeing why we may be having reasons for these pieces of evidence your family christmas ended up with police getting raided um your dad can't seem to just kind of hold it together while his family's around or on these big trips there seems to be very grandiose themes and ideas that like we have to make it the perfect trip the perfect vacation um or it's going to be ruined and by doing so kind of becomes ruined um And then what are evidence against these kind of thoughts? You're your own person. Your family doesn't have to define who you are. What are your different roles? How are you handling these situations differently than your family maybe? And then being able to come up maybe with some new thoughts that doesn't necessarily have to automatically replace previous thoughts, but to have as a way to find like exceptions to rules. Like I can come up with these different thoughts I can lean on when maybe in like an anxious cycle. Um, We would also look for different cognitive distortions such as personalization or always assuming self-responsibility. So you know what, my dad's house, the the lights didn't light up the right way the first time because I did something wrong while setting up these lights and therefore he snapped and started kicking the reindeer across the lawn. And okay, well, you did help your dad set up the lights, but you also did your best in the process working with an an individual at the time who wanted to put up over a thousand twinkle, quote unquote, lights all over the house, Um, working with the best that you've got at the time. And it's not necessarily your responsibility to make sure that your dad handles these events in a more manageable way. We could also look at, for instance, polarized thinking or all or nothing thinking. You know, the idea of if I'm a mess, or if my family's a mess, I'm always gonna be a part of this mess as well. It's very all or nothing. There's no like wiggle room in between. So inviting that almost gray into our thinking that there could be these exceptions to these all or nothing ideas. And overgeneralization or assuming that a rule in life from one experience applies to now all experiences. So for instance, if we've been working together for a while, let's say starting to think about college, overgeneralizing kind of these family behaviors into my future, like I'm gonna go off to college, mess it up, or if I meet someone and we have a family and we have kids, all these rules are gonna apply to my family as well. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. We would also talk about mindfulness techniques such as breathing, meditation, and other coping skills we could use when in family dynamics, and especially when those family dynamics repeat. So, really kind of like prepping him for future trips, for instance, like Vegas, um, and helping him feel like he can maintain a sense of self and separate himself from the family um, and give himself tools to use while different things happen. If they happen, which he does kind of know they will because they are the Griswolds. And finally, the last goal would be to talk about how we can extend these new core belief messages that we've established um, into the future while also strengthening them to be able to um, kind of withstand and being able to strengthen our new coping skills to be able to project them into the future, preparing him for one day leaving the home, going off to college, and how to set himself up away from his family successfully. So again, kind of giving him more of a roadmap of how to kind of survive his family until he's able to go off on his own while also helping him thrive in his family as well. And that's Russ. (laughs) Awesome, as always. Why Russ? Why Russ? Uh, Again, I've always loved this movie. Um, I think he has some of the greatest lines in the movie, too, when his dad's like, do you want to go back up there and check all the bulbs with me? And he's like, ah, it's getting late. I have bills to pay, homework to do, hog to feed, (laughs) got some dishes to put away. Like, he's already kind of, like, realized his family's kind of messed up and is trying to, like, back away slowly. And... I think when the idea of let's do a holiday movie came up, like I wanted to do the Griswolds just because it is such the typical, like family vacation gone wrong kind of holiday film that it's not like all like, Oh, it's snowflakes falling from the sky on the perfect Christmas morn. Um, So I I like the messiness of the Griswolds while also the wholesomeness of it. Um, And Russ is cool. That's pretty much it. He's just a cool character.
0: (laughs) awesome well thank you for sharing about russ absolutely we're gonna yeah we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break but we'll be right back with more stories with shrinks
1: welcome back to stories with shrinks tyler i do believe you have a new client on your caseload
0: I do, um, and I've taken some liberties with the source material for this one, so we can talk about some, some of this from a modern perspective. Uh, my character comes from Victorian London, um, but we are going to eh, just like pop him in a time machine, uh, pop him up here into 2020, um, or at least into the 21st century.
1: Don't feel like just doing classic Freudian psychotherapy?
0: It's not that it's that I, it's, I don't know what the career landscape is like in uh True. in Victorian London,
1: probably uh, not I'm, as promising.
0: I'm a little bit well, I mean, right now, um, but <laughs> I'm a little bit more familiar with what's happening now. So, uh, but without further ado, uh, my char- my uh, my character, how dare my client this week is Bob Cratchit from A Christmas Carol. Uh, Bob is 30 years old, cisgender male. White, European, British, heterosexual, married, the father of six children, and is currently working as a clerk in what we would consider to be like a minimum wage position today. Mm -hmm. Um, So Bob is coming in for career counseling, which is something we haven't talked about yet. And it's something where uh, in California, at least, uh, this more falls under the purview of the professional clinical counselors than it does under the purview of a marriage and family therapist, however, I can make the argument that somebody's employment does affect their relationships and so Mm -hmm. we can talk about it as an MFT. Especially
1: if you have six children to take care of. Mm -hmm.
0: Exactly Um, and PCC is also something that I play around with from time to time so I thought it would be a uh, yeah if you if you're in school go to a school that provides the the dual license track just to give you the option Um, even if you don't end up using both the option is always good that's my spiel. Let me <laughs> let's get back to the client. Um, so Bob came in asking for some career advice, uh, and he's got a few questions in mind that he's coming in with. One is how to ask for a raise. That's kind of the basic thing. Um, that's kind of his primary goal, because he's trying to, you know, feed seven people and himself, including a son who's really ill and needs medical care. Um, And currently he's making the equivalent of like $94 a week. Um, And so he's just not being able to make ends meet for his family and he needs that. So he's wanting, coming in and going, how do I ask for a raise? I don't even really know how to do that. And a lot of, I think, 30 year olds, uh, millennials, what up my peeps, how you doing? Um, We don't know this. Mm -hmm. We weren't necessarily taught this if you weren't you know, in a specific schooling for business or told how to do this. So it's a skill set that's kind of a little esoteric, I would say. So that would be the first goal. Second goal uh, is how to look for another job while working 60 hours a week, because he is working that much and still only making $94 a week, um, according to Wikipedia. That's how much he's making in current money. Um, And the last goal is how to deal with a toxic boss. So those are his goals coming in. And I just kind of want to set up the story that he's telling me coming in. So Bob comes into therapy and he's looking like this dude looks tired. Hmm. I mean, he is just beat. I don't even know how he has the time to come in, but he does. He's here every week. He's ready to party. Um, And he's really just... Looks pretty beaten down by the world. He talks about how he has this sort of happy facade that he puts on for his children. And he really does live his life for his children and his wife. Um, he, he loves his family, he's a family man, he's there every day just working his fingers to the bone so that he can really help out his family. And he's not able to do it even after working 60 hours a week. So his first goal is how to ask for a raise. And we would go through basic, you know, communication of how does this work? Okay, how do you set a time with your boss to say, hey, I want to speak with you about my work here. How do I, you know, how do we set a time aside for that? Some companies have a set aside, set aside time where every six months or every year you're having a personnel review. And as a part of that review, you're, you are raised or you are not, or they tell you things you can improve upon, anything like that. So my advice to Bob going into this would be like, hey, I want you to tell your boss, like, you know, this is, I, I want a time for us to sit down. Is there a time that we can schedule for us to talk to each other? And then preparing for that meeting by finding examples of the good work that he's done, finding examples of how he's stayed late at the office and how he comes in early, how he's the first one in, last one out and how he's, you know, there to really help the company and to show his value to the company. And then to take that information into that meeting and tell his boss uh, who he's called, his name's Ebenezer, I believe, um, go tell Ebenezer, hey, this is what I've been doing. This is how I provide value to the company. This is how I've actually helped the company make more profit than you have before. And to provide that information as evidence of, and I would like a raise. And I, especially with how he's described Ebenezer to me, I don't think Ebenezer is going to like take the sob story of I have my six kids and, you know, tiny Tim is just really, really sick and needs medical help. He's not going to take that. Uh, He doesn't seem like that kind of guy. He's a numbers guy. So what he's going to want to see is how, how are you helping me? How is this going to help the company? How is this going to do this, this or that? Um, And really helping Bob to kind of move it that way. Uh, So then the second goal we have is how to look for another job while working 60 hours a week. Uh, And this is actually something that I have learned from a couple supervisors that I wanted to share here, which is therapy, what you do in therapy is therapeutic. Mm -hmm. No matter what, you do what the client needs. And if the client's working 60 hours a week and he's showing up to every session weekly where he's like, yeah, I'm working my butt off. I go home to my family, but I still find an hour a week to come talk to you, but I can't have time to look for work. I'm going to say, hey man, let's look for work while you're here. Yeah. You've got this hour set aside. Let's go pop on Indeed. Let's go hop on um, Glassdoor. Let's go hop on LinkedIn, you know, find all these possible routes to getting you to a job that might be less hours, more pay, so you can have more time with your family, maybe some medical benefits to help out Tiny Tim. You know, all these things that are necessary to survive in our culture that he's not getting at this current position. Um, I think the other discussion I would have with him about this, uh, and this is a discussion I've had with myself and a couple clients, which is uh, just the short phrase, you don't get martyr points. Uh, At the end of your life, nobody sits you down and goes, you know what, you suffered so much, five more minutes. Go go have five more. It doesn't happen. You don't get martyr points. You don't get points for suffering. And if you're allowing yourself to suffer, you're just putting yourself through pain. And if you can find another option, do it. The other thing I would say to him if he's looking for another job is contact friends. If he's been working in this field for a while, he's going to have some connections. He's going to have networked with somebody. And if he hasn't, I would suggest he starts networking with people so that he can get his name out there, get his name into other managers and other companies so that they know, oh, Bob Cratchit's looking for a job. Oh, I've heard of Bob. I hear he's a good dude. Um, And he's got kind of a leg up going into those certain situations. Then the final question is how to deal with a toxic boss. And this one's tough. I think a lot of people, I've had multiple clients in real life come to me with this question, because there are a lot of people in management who probably shouldn't be. Uh, And there are a lot of people who get power and abuse it. So how do you deal with a toxic boss? Well, you do the things that he's he's doing. You know, those other two goals kind of fit into that. Is the boss worth what you're getting paid now? No. Then ask for a raise. If the boss isn't going to give you a raise, find somewhere else to work. You don't get martyr points, you know, how to deal with a toxic boss, at least on the day-to-day, the coping skills of it Mm -hmm. is, you know, finding that internal sense of self, knowing that you're going to have, not going to be getting that external validation. You're not going to get a boss who's going, wow, you did a really good job on that project. It's going to be, wow, this was really bad and you need to do this, this, and that. You need to figure out internally how to tell yourself that you're doing good work. So that way you can keep yourself moving and motivated until you find that next position, so you do have to develop a sense of internal validation. You have to figure out, okay, how is this going to work for me? How can I motivate myself so that way I can keep going uh, and find that other job? So lately, in you know, 2020, if you're listening in 2020, if you're listening a little bit later, uh, now maybe newsflash: the job market's not so hot right now there's a lot of unemployment people have a lot of people have lost their jobs due to the um, global pandemic that's going on and it's you know led to a lot of competition in the in, in every field really in any sort of job opening and it's also starting to lead a, a march towards you know more remote jobs which is i think really cool but all that to say bob has a job still right now and the easiest thing to do when you're looking for a job is to have a job already. Um, it is so much easier to find a new job when you're already working. And it's because when you're in those interviews, you're not coming across as desperate. You're not sitting there like, I need this, I need this so bad. You're, you're like, okay, if I get this, awesome. New opportunity, new place to work, new you know, coworkers, new supervisors, great. And if you don't, you haven't lost anything. You still have your old job. You're still getting paid that, that small amount, but you're still moving forward. And then the, just the final thing while I'm thinking about it is I would also possibly encourage him to report Scrooge to the Better, better Business Bureau or, or like the labor board um, just because he's making so little money for so many hours of work In California, he would be making less than minimum wage. For 60 hours of work a week, if he's making $94 a week, he would be making like absolutely no money.
1: Change to the dollar.
0: Yeah. So the idea just that I would maybe get him to report his current job to the labor board, uh, whether that's on his way out or whether that's while he's still there. But he's not being treated fairly right now. uh, And he needs some extra support in that way as well
1: that idea of being able to help our clients by advocating for them and letting them know what their options are. Even like what you said is almost kind of switching over to a case manager role of let's look for a job together. Yeah. We get to use this time. And so often the case management part, sometimes we neglect as like, am I doing therapy? Yeah, we are.
0: Yeah. I think going back to that idea, cause I think it's helpful is that, you know, whatever's going to be therapeutic for the client is what they need. Uh, I, I, I remember this uh, vividly as a trainee. I had a 12 year old come in and this 12 year old, highly anxious, uh, very neurotic. And I was like, okay, we're going to do a mindfulness exercise. They had been with me for a while. They, they knew that this is kind of what I do. And so I start doing the mindfulness exercise with them. And I tell them, you know, okay, take a deep breath, let your breath slow and get longer. And the client falls asleep. And I'm a trainee. I don't. I don't know any better. The client's asleep, like snoring. I know that they're not conscious. So I pull my phone out, uh, which you don't pull your phone out in session ever, unless there's an emergency or something. But I pull my phone out and I texted my supervisor at the time. I said, uh, "My client just fell asleep. What do I do?" Yep. <laughs> uh, and my supervisor's response, which I think is very wise, was, "Let them sleep. It's what they need." And so taking that into therapy in general, that, I, that rule of just give them what they need. Mm-hmm. If a client needs five minutes at the end of session so they can have some privacy from their parents if they're a teenager, if a client needs you know, to go over a schedule so that they can figure out what they need to do to get going with their schoolwork, mm-hmm. if a client needs to do a budget so that they can pay their rent that month, like...
1: I'm very mindful of that with my student clients of like, if I know it's midterm week, I'm not going to stir a pot of emotions. We're going to talk about how to manage midterm week and how to manage schedules if that's what they need. Because normally they're coming in like, I've been studying all night. I'm here, but I'm not awake and I'm stressed and I don't have my to-do list and my schedule. I'm like, let's do it. Let's make one together. Or I've worked with an individual that's homeless and we sat for three weeks together putting together his papers that he did have. And just helping him get organized and letting him know that he had options.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, and and you know, you said case management. I want to reframe it just a little bit mm-hmm. to holistic. Absolutely. That's really what it is. It's treating the person as a whole hum- human being, mm-hmm. with all the things that they might need help with, um, whether that is housing or getting connected to social security or, you know, taking a nap for. Forty minutes of your fifty-minute session. It's moving beyond that traditional medical model of you treat the diagnosis and you treat the symptoms and that's it. It's moving forward into you treat the human mm-hmm. and you move forward in a holistic way.
1: You help the human.
0: Mm-hmm. True story. You don't even treat the human. Yeah, you help. Uh, the human. I yeah, I tell clients this all the time: is that you're not broken. You need to heal we're not inanimate objects we don't break we're organic and organic things need to heal when they're hurt Mm -hmm. that's the idea um and that's also you know i think my bias is kind of showing with my frustrations with the medical model um i don't think it necessarily works for every single situation there are a couple diagnoses where yeah medical model works great Um, especially those more severe diagnoses like schizophrenia or bipolar with severe symptoms yeah medical model actually treats those pretty well because we've got medications that work really well for those mm-hmm. things
1: But then we have individuals like rust and um, yeah bob who just just need someone to be there for them and that's why exactly. like on paperwork we tend to have to put a diagnosis down especially if it's um like a county funded place or insurance is going to be paying for it or just different reasons to be able to show that we're also performing on an ethical level and having a proper guide and in those cases i'm like i love my adjustment disorders because there's a stressor we're adjusting to the stressor Mm -hmm. and we're going to go from there um or those V codes. I think when I was doing um, Russ's kind of conceptualization, I was like, "What V codes?" And there is one for I have a messed up family. So, <laughs> so why exactly did you what it says. right? Pretty much, why did you um, pick who you picked?
0: I picked Bob. Uh, actually, I, I you know, I'll will do a little peek behind the curtain. I had a tough time picking a client this week. Um, I was yeah experiencing some therapy block um, just any character I looked at I was not feeling super connected to um and I I you know came across Bob and I was like okay I, I could I could do something like that mm-hmm. um to kind of show that other side because we do really focus on the narrative you know non uh non necessarily we're, we're we're more in the in the me-
1: the medical model of it all
0: Yeah, we do really focus, and we're not even really focusing on the Mm -hmm. medical model. We're just conceptualizing from a mental health standpoint. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that this is something that is a little bit more practical to his entire life Mm -hmm. versus just that. So I think that that's important. Not to mention that, like I said, when I have people coming in for career stuff, these are always the questions. Yeah, The questions are, how do I look for, how do I ask for a raise? If I can't get a raise, how do I leave my job? Mm -hmm. And how do I deal with this? manager, supervisor, owner, whoever, until I can find that new opportunity. Um, I think it comes up more often than any of us would like to admit. Uh,
1: Absolutely. I know I did career counseling with one of my clients once, and it was definitely the how do I leave? How do I talk to my manager? And then when I do leave, what do I even do? Because I hate this, and this is what I have my degree in. Yeah. And one of the The easiest exercises I like to share with a client, just because they always know the answers to this kind of idea of, you know, that magic wand of, if you could pick out the perfect job, what are the values of it? Do you work with people? Do you not work with people? Do you get to pick your schedule? Do you have a set schedule? And we just make a list of what you're valuing in a job. And usually from there, we can build a blueprint of what to look for.
0: Yeah. And often I'll collaborate with clients as well, because Mm -hmm. I'm very familiar with the therapy field. I'm actually pretty in touch with, you know, what are the differences between school-based and community mental health and private practice and all that kind of stuff, mostly because I've had my toes in each of those waters a little bit. (laughs) Um, But also I don't know anything about computer science. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about engineering or, you know, what you can do with an English degree uh, or what you want to do with your journalism degree or if you want to work in those fields and not have those degrees or whatever it's going to be. It's always, again, goes back to that collaboration piece. Tell me about this field and what drew you to it. Mm -hmm. What do you like about it? Because we know that where you're working right now is not working for you, but that doesn't mean the entire field is that way. Uh, and it kind of goes back to the thinking you were talking about with the all or nothing thinking yeah. is that, you know, when you're, when you're in a situation and you've been there for a while, it feels like this is how everything is. And that's not necessarily true.
1: Mm-hmm. And just to, you know, wrap it up with a bow holidays, ha um, You know, that's so true for the holidays in general as well. I think sometimes we get stuck very much into the all or nothing thinking of the holidays of trying to make it the best holiday or the perfect holiday or, oh my gosh, my family, which is real. That is real during the holidays. Um, And it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And it doesn't have to be perfect to still be good and to make it what you need to make it.
0: Um, I think really what the holidays brings up for a lot of people is triggers mm-hmm. and being around family members and being reminded of what we felt like when we were kids, uh, which is sometimes really great, uh, in that Christmas morning sense, when you get to rip off all the paper on all the presents and sometimes really bad when your parent criticizes you and you get taken back to when you were seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if I'm going to leave anybody with a message it's just. Really take care of yourself this season. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this holiday especially is going to be like nothing we've ever seen before. Right. Really take care of yourself. And remember
1: that in a way that this is going to feel different. This is going to look different. And it's not because you did anything wrong.
0: Yeah. And if you really want to take care of yourself, show yourself how you love yourself through mm-hmm. a love language, through a gift to yourself, whether that's time by yourself or time with a friend. Mm-hmm. Um I'm typically big on buying myself a gift usually each year. Don't know what what I'm going to buy myself this year.
1: Your Christmas gift for yourself.
0: Mm -hmm. Anything else you'd like to add, Jen?
1: I think that's just about it. Enjoy your holiday season, however it looks like for you.
0: Take care, everyone.